Church, this morning we are going to continue with our series, Revealing Jesus, and we find ourselves again in Revelation chapter 2, verses 18 to 29. Last week was a time of recapping on the purposes of the series and also setting some foundation for our study on the last four of the seven churches that Jesus dictates a letter to. Now, as I said last week, we are going to go pretty deep into what Jesus approves of and what he disproves of in his church, right? We are going to expose traditions and rituals that have somehow infiltrated the church and the lives of believers since the first church was born on the day of Pentecost. And I would say that this is vital for us as believers in Jesus Christ to understand because firstly, we will clearly begin to see why it is so important to be a part of a church that Jesus approves of a church where the lampstands are burning brightly. Secondly, because it will give us a much better picture and idea of the church age we're in now, how the church ages have progressed, where we are now, and how close we are to the Lord's return. Thirdly, with this understanding and knowledge, we can lovingly, and I mean lovingly, encourage friends and family that belong to other Christian denominations, right, other Christian doctrines, or even other religions, why they need to hear what the truth of the Bible really says. And I would add to that, as we look at this guidance from the Lord, if we identify anything that we've allowed a foothold in our lives, or something that has just you know, become a tradition in our families that has been passed down from generation to generation, and we measure that truth, we measure that against the truth in God's Word, and then find out that it's actually unacceptable to the Lord, Right? Let's be honest with ourselves to identify that. And as I mentioned, we will have a time towards the end of the study of these churches where we renounce, repent, and return to the way of the Lord. Jesus wants to set a few things straight in his church because he's coming back for a pure bride. He's coming back for a spotless bride. And may our hearts here at Frontline, may our hearts and ears be ready to receive what the Master has to say. Amen? Now, church, you would remember me making reference last week to the timeline of church history. And let's have a look together again at this image of the timeline, if you could put that up for us. The first three churches we covered were Ephesus, Smyrna, and Pergamos. And yes, even though they all have literal and spiritual relevance as churches, they also have historical relevance. Right? And it's the same with all of the seven churches. And just to recap very briefly, since the church first was born, or the first church was born on the day of Pentecost in 33 AD, each church that Jesus dictates a letter to is actually pointing to a time period on the timeline of church history from the time that Jesus sent the Holy Spirit until the day that he comes a second time. Right? Until the church age comes to an end. We are in the fortunate position now to know 2,000 years later that church historians tell us that there's a pattern to what Jesus has given us in these seven letters to the seven churches. And as we discovered last week, the church at Ephesus represents the time period of the church from basically when Pentecost happened until the time the Apostle John died around 100 AD, which then ended the apostolic age. After Ephesus comes Smyrna, from about 100 to 312 AD, 
and the historical relevance of the church at Smyrna was that it represented the age of the church where Christians were severely persecuted, oppressed, and even martyred for their faith. After Smyrna comes Pergamos from 312 to 606 AD, and this was the time in church history when the Roman Emperor Constantine made Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire. And so it went from the most persecuted religion, where Christians were dying in their thousands, to the official religion. But what happened in this period of the church is that the church became married to the government, and throughout the entire Roman Empire, the church was no longer a spiritual institution. It actually just became an arm of the government. Interestingly, the name Pergamos means mixed marriage. And as that mixture between the church and the government got worse, what developed was a slow deterioration of the truth until you ended up with forced baptisms, with forced conversions, and you ended up with people having to belong to the church, otherwise they would be punished. They would be punished by the government. People were given all sorts of financial incentives if they joined the church, and there were huge incentives for prominent people in society to become pastors and leaders within the church because they could do it just now for prestige, for, for the power and for money. Not for calling, not for sacrifice, and certainly not as a service unto the Lord. So from the 4th century onwards, what happens is that you started to have people as head of the church instead of Jesus Christ always being head of the church. And you had local church leaders, and sometimes they were called bishops, sometimes they were called patriarchs or priests, and even the word papa or papas started to be used. But when you get here to around 606 AD, which represents the age, the church age of Thyatira, the age of papacy, the title of pope was given to Boniface III by Roman Emperor Phocas, and what you have from that point onwards is the emergence of the Roman Catholic Church. Now, I just want to remind you that when I speak about the Roman Catholic Church, which I'm going to mention a lot today, and when I speak about other religious traditions over the next few weeks, I'm not doing it because I want to badmouth different faiths or religions. I simply just want to point out what the Bible says about things and some of the practices that are inconsistent with what the Bible teaches. Because church... If you and I really believe that the Bible is the handbook of faith and practice for Christian living even today, then we have to evaluate every religious tradition and every religious practice, right, through the grit of God's Word. That's important for every single Christian and denomination to do, no matter what age of the church you're living in, right? And when I mention names like the Roman Catholic Church, what I'm really doing is addressing the spirit behind the church that has taken control of this church. So as we go a bit deeper this morning, in this age of the church between Pergamos and Thyatira, because man now assumed the role of head of the church instead of Jesus Christ being head of the church, what you had is a number of practices that were introduced over time that became traditions of the Roman Catholic Church. Such as, and to name but a few, Praying for the dead, the worship of saints and angels, the worship of Mary and priests wearing robes and collars to separate themselves from the 
the laity or, or the congregation. You had the doctrine of kissing the Pope's foot, which was proclaimed in 709 AD as a ritual. And by the way, if you go to St. Peter's Basilica in Rome today, there's a bronze statue of Peter that is seated, and people who make pilgrimage there continue to kiss or touch his feet, so much so that over the centuries, the toes on the right foot of the Apostle Peter are gone. <laughs> they've been rubbed off, they've been, they've been kissed off, right? The use of holy water was implemented around 805 AD, and praying with beads, known as the Holy Rosary, was invented by Peter the Hermit in 1098 AD. So you had all these rituals and traditions coming over time, and because the church was now a political system, the head of the Roman Catholic Church would then have the authority to tell people what to do, and what he said was final. For example, you would have different popes at different times deciding who would be cast into hell or not. The pope would sit on the judgment seat because he's now the head of the church in charge of the Roman government, and he would decide who's going to hell and who's going to heaven. You had a papa called Gregory who decided that he was now infallible, which means that he was incapable of making mistakes or being wrong. And that would really come in handy being a pastor, you know, being incapable of error. But it was totally and utterly a, a man-made idea. And the movement of these Roman Catholic Church leaders just seemed to get worse and more like a dictatorship till you get to the 12th century where you get a pope called Innocent, who really wasn't that innocent at all. People were getting tortured and killed under his reign, and even though he called himself the vicar, of Christ. And you know, when you hear all these things, and you think to yourself, how did the church go from what Christ had planted and what the Holy Spirit had birthed to that? But it did. And it just got worse and worse because you then had the Spanish Inquisition, and you had some popes killing more Christians than any Roman emperor ever did. And you see, church, once the seat of Satan is there, once the deep things of of Satan have been learned, and they're in the church, people will use that power for, for self-glorification. They will use that power for their own political or financial means. And what you'll notice this age of the church represents, and what this church of Thyatira did, is that it started out with freedom in Christ. It started out with freedom in the Holy Spirit to be the bride of Christ. But actually, stage by stage, it took the church back into the bondage of the Old Testament system. Where they would dress like the priests in the Old Testament. Where they would wear hats like the priests in the Old Testament. And where they would appoint priests from only a certain upper class of people. You would have to purchase forgiveness and you would have to give a sacrifice or you would not be forgiven. And so you had this practice of pardoning sins that came in where you could not be forgiven unless you paid a price or unless you did penance. And if you would pay enough, you could do penance for the people who died before you, and you could even set your mother or your father or your brother free from hell. So you have the system of continual sacrifice being brought back into the church instead of faith in that Christ has paid the price on our behalf. right? And we now love Him. 
We adore Him, we worship Him, and we serve Him alone. We have been set free by the Holy Spirit because of Christ's sacrifice. But what happens when Satan gets a foothold in the church is you now go back to an Old Testament system where people are continually trying to get their sins forgiven through their works. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Galatians about that type of works mentality, and he said to them in Galatians chapter 3, he says, You foolish Galatians, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. He says to them, I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you not trying to finish by means of the flesh? Powerful words those, right? And really what this type of church system wants you to do is to forget how you began and whom you gave your heart to in the first place and then to worship anything other than the Son of God. In fact, it promotes the worship of saints and angels, the worship of the church leader, right? the worship of the Queen of Heaven or the Mother of God. And church, something that needs to be said at this point Something I want to say today is that Mary is not the mother of God. When Mary was given the declaration that she would give birth to Jesus, do you know what she said? In Luke chapter 1, she said, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Mary didn't think for one moment that she could save anybody, right? She declared that she needed a Savior. And yes, she was an amazing woman. She was a godly woman. She was a blessed woman, but we don't worship her. She was the mother of Jesus, who is called Christ, but she's not the mother of God. God existed preeminently before creation. Mary didn't, right? Mary is a created being just like we are, so she's not God. She's not co-equal. She's not co-redemptrix, right? You don't pray to Mary. But that spirit got into the church and those traditional practices are still being used today to manipulate people into thinking that they need to work for what Christ has already done. And you know what Jesus said to the Pharisees about traditions and traditional practices? In Mark chapter 7, when the Pharisees were questioning Jesus, as they did many a time, about things that defile or corrupt a person, the Pharisees asked him and said, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? I just love the way Jesus replies. He said, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. And he says, you have let go of the commands of God and you're holding on to human traditions. That's powerful. You have let go of the commands of God and the ways of God and you are holding on to human traditions that are manipulated by Satan himself. So church, having shared all of that with you, what does Jesus say to this type of church? What does he say to the church at Thyatira? 
Let's read together from verse 18. And, and by the way, this is the longest letter to the smallest church, the smallest of the seven churches. This is what it says. We'll just read the first six verses to start off with. And to the angel, or the pastor of the church in Thyatira, write, These things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet like fine brass. I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds." I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and the hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your works. As we've already identified, Thyatira was a town that existed in the first century in what is known today as Turkey. And it was a town that was interestingly known for its purple dye. There was a certain shellfish that was indigenous to that area, and once it was dried and you crushed it, you made this reddish purplish dye. Thyatira was situated about 40 kilometers halfway between Pergamos and Sardis, and it was a city that was riddled with idolatry. And this is what Jesus now starts to address. But something I want you to note here, church, is look at the way that Jesus starts out this letter. He starts out by setting something straight. He says, these things says the Son of God. These things says the Son of God. And interestingly, it's the only time in the book of Revelation that Jesus uses the title Son of God. And so what is he saying here? He's saying, I'm the one who must be worshipped. I'm the one that you must, be pray you must pray to. I'm the one you must focus your attention and affection on. Not your church leader, not the angels, not the saints of old, not the queen of heaven, or even the mother of God. I am the son of God. I am the head of the church, and I am the one that you must worship. So he starts off by making this very strong statement. He reminds them of his authority and says his eyes are like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. Now, fire and brass in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament are, are symbols of judgment. When judgment fell, fire fell. When something had to, put, had to be judged, it had to be put in the fire, right? Brass or brazen, as the King James calls it, is also a symbol of judgment because brass could withstand the heat when a sacrifice was made on the brazen altar. It is something that could withstand the judgment, and so what Jesus is saying here is that I'm the God of judgment and you are going to be judged for the way that you have behaved. So he starts out this way, right? He starts out in this very authoritative way and then surprisingly he tells us something good about the church. And you know, when you look at this type of church and you see everything that's wrong with this church, 
you think, well, surely God can't possibly see any good in it, right? But He does. He says in verse 19, I know your works, your love, your service, your faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Now, church, even though we may not be aware of this, and even though we may have a judging eye towards these type of churches at times, this type of church does do incredibly good works. Throughout the centuries, you've had people like Mother Teresa, who was a beautiful example of a Christian in the way that she served and cared for other people. She sacrificed her own life for other people. There's been many others. And there's a lot of good things happening in the world through people who belong to these churches. Yes, the leadership is corrupt. Yes, the, 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 the system of worship is corrupt. But many of these people don't understand that there's actually a different way of faith. Some people in some countries, for them, this is the only church in that country. Right? In certain countries in South America, there is only the Roman Catholic Church. They are genuine believers who have a genuine faith in Jesus Christ, but they can't leave and join another church. And as much as we like to look at other denominations and just paint them all with the same brush, and just, you know, think to ourselves, everybody, every one of them is going to go to hell. We've got to remember that Jesus will always see the good, right? Even in a grossly corrupt and demonic system. You know, in Sodom, he saw three good people, even though everyone in that town was extremely bad. He saw who was good and he rescued who was good. So we need to remember this, right? The eyes that blaze like fire, the feet of fine brass, will always judge righteously, and he will always take care of his remnants. Amen? Amen? So Jesus commends the church for their good works, but then he has this big complaint against them. And the complaint that he has against them is that they are tolerant of sin, and in particular, they are tolerant of this Jezebel issue. He says to the church in verse 20, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you, because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. Now, there's a matter of interpretive debate as to whether or not Jezebel was a real person in that church with the name Jezebel or just a reference to that type of spirit that made its way into the church. But it is more than likely a reference to a woman who so persuaded the believers in Thyatira to engage in a system of idolatry that Jesus compared her to the Jezebel in the Old Testament. Either way, church, I'm sure we've all heard of Jezebel before, right? Certainly not a name that Christians will, will give their, their daughters, right? She's the most wicked queen in the Old Testament, but she's more than that. Right? Because she is a symbol of a false church and a false religious system. Just as good women in the Bible are a picture of the bride of Christ, the true church, evil women are a picture of the harlot of Babylon, the counterfeit church which appears at the end of time. And as we go through the book of Revelation, we'll discover that in the last days, there will be a false religious system that will mislead mankind because people will think that they are worshiping God and His Messiah when actually they are worshiping the false prophet 
and the Antichrist, and they'll be doing it through a false religious system represented by Jezebel. And this type of church is going to help facilitate the worship of Satan. There's a lot more to say about that when we get there. So that being the case about this type of church system, and that, that this type of spirit that is in control of the church, how do we identify this type of church? Well, we identify this church by looking at what Jezebel did in the Old Testament and what Je the Jezebel spirit was doing at the church in Thyatira. Let's go to 1 Kings chapter 18 for a moment to see how we identify the behavior of Jezebel. It says in 1 Kings chapter 18 verse 4 that Jezebel was killing off the Lord's prophets. And the first thing this type of church does, the first thing the Spirit does is kill people who do not agree with its doctrines. Jezebel was killing off the Lord's prophets, and you'll even remember that she tried to murder Elijah. Jezebel is not scared of anyone, and this type of church will systematically murder anyone who disagrees with her. And just to ask you a quick question, has there been any churches like that throughout history? Yes, there has been, right? History will show us that there has been, especially in this time period of the church. And from a prophetic point of view, it's a type of church system that will make way for the Antichrist. The second thing to know about this church, this Jezebel spirit, if you go to verse 19, Elijah is talking about what Jezebel has done, and he says, now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. The second thing this type of church does, this type of church system does, is that it financially sustains and supports this false system of religion. Jezebel is incredibly wealthy. This religious system is extremely affluent and will pay for all this false religion to take place. Financially, it almost has limitless funds and it commits these funds to worship these false idols and these false systems of religion. In 1 Kings 21, there's another thing to notice about Jezebel. You would remember that Jezebel was married to King Ahab and at some point, Ahab was acting like a spoiled brat because Naboth wouldn't sell him the vineyard that he really wanted. So he was really feeling sorry for himself. And Jezebel says to her husband in verse 7, she says, Is this how you act as king over Israel? She says, Get up, eat, cheer up. I'll get you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. What Jezebel did is she killed people and seized their property. She got Naboth killed and seized his vineyard and appropriated it into the government's system of land. And church, just an interesting fact. Do you know who the single biggest landowner in the world is? You would think it would be someone like Bill Gates, right? Or, or Jeff Bezos. Or maybe even a company like McDonald's. Because they own the property and land. Wherever there's a McDonald's or whatever the world, they own that property. But just to give you some interesting stats this morning, McDonald's, and look, I can't verify if these numbers are 100% correct, 
But according to a report done by Yahoo Finance, it says McDonald's is estimated to own approximately 50,000 acres of land around the world. Right? And if you equate that to square meterage, that equates to over 200, square, 200 million square meters of land. Bill Gates is estimated to own 270,000 acres of land around the world, which includes his businesses, his properties, and, and different portions of farmland. And if you equate that to square meters, that is over 1 billion square meters of land. Now, the Roman church is estimated to own an estimated to own 177 million acres of land, which includes buildings like churches, schools, as well as farmland and forest land. And the point is the Jezebel church owns more land than anybody else. It owns more churches, more real estate, more property than anyone else. And this church is so powerful that it can buy governments. This church is so powerful that it can control entire nations. And the only reason I'm pointing this out is because it's a type of church system that Satan can use to prop up its political system in the end times, and it already has over one billion followers. Now, church, remember the book of Revelation is a, is a book of eschatology, right? It's a book that predicts the future. And an important thing to note here, while I'm mentioning all of these things, something that we'll get into greater detail later, but something that I want to point out here is that it's not only the, the Roman Catholic Church that is going to prop up Satan's political system when the Antichrist makes its appearance, or his appearance. You know, it would be convenient for us to put all of that on the Roman Catholic Church because we belong to a different denomination. But this will be a unification of all false idolatrous religions with representatives from Catholicism, from Protestantism, and all the other Christian-isms, as well as a smorgasbord of other religions of the world, of all the religions of the world. And why do I say that? Because the Jezebel, who is a picture of a false religion, is not limited to any one church, denomination, or religion. Right? And even though it may manifest in churches like the Roman Catholic Church, it is the spirit that is behind it that is in control. And it is that very spirit that Jesus wants out of his church. The fourth thing that I want you to notice about Jezebel, look at 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 30. When Jehu was on his way to kill Jezebel, it says, Then Jehu went to Jezreel, and when Jezebel heard about it, she put on eye makeup, arranged her hair, and looked out of a window. This type of church system is very preoccupied with outward appearances. It will look good. It will be clothed in gold. It will have great-looking churches, and it will have extremely expensive outward ornamentation because that's what the Jezebel does. It plows its money into looking good. And the reason that it does that is because the Jezebel uses the spirit of seduction to, to suck people in. I mean, just think about this for a moment. How can this be wrong? Just look at that cathedral. Look at those golden candlesticks, right? Listen to that beautiful music from that organ. Look at that chapel ceiling. It's been painted by some of the, the greatest artists that have ever walked the face of this earth. Surely this is a church that God accepts and blesses, right? 
It has the greatest art, the greatest music, the greatest decoration, the greatest architecture, the greatest amount of finances, and the greatest amount of land assets. When you think about it, you think, surely this must be a church that God is pleased with. Because this church is more powerful and looks better than everything else. But what I want to say to you this morning is don't be deceived by the outward appearance because the spirit within wants to suck you into a demonic system of worship. And church, I know it sounds like I'm speaking very harshly against the Roman Catholic Church today, but remember, I'm addressing the spirit that is behind this. The spirit of, of false False religion, the spirit of idol worship, the spirit of sexual immorality. So what's going to happen to this type of church, you may ask? Jesus says in Revelation chapter 2, verse 22, Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed, and those who commit sexual immorality or adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. Jesus says this church is going to be cast into the great tribulation. This church is not going to be raptured. The Jezebel church is going to suffer, and anyone who commits adultery with her will go into the great tribulation as well, unless they repent of their deeds. Unless they repent of their deeds, which means that there's always a way out. Right? And anyone who repents doesn't have to go into the great tribulation with her. There's always time, right? There's always time. That's why we need to, as a church, as I said, lovingly encourage friends and family that belong to other Christian doctrines, that there is still time to repent before the Lord returns. Jesus also says in verse 23, I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your works. Now, Unless we understand what this church really is, and remember, we're talking about spiritual metaphors here. Just as Jezebel is a spiritual metaphor, so are the children of Jezebel spiritual metaphors of her priesthood. Just as in the Bible, the people who followed the prophets were called the sons of the prophets, the children of Jezebel are the ones that followed her. Right? It doesn't literally mean her children. It means the one who followed her, the ones who followed her, and they are the ones that are going to suffer terribly during this time. It even says that they are going to be killed. Church, let's have a look at the last couple of verses, and then I will begin to wrap up. Revelation chapter 2, verse 24 says, But to you I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan as they say, I will put on you no other burden, but hold fast what you have till I come. Remember, there are still good people in that church who probably disagree with what's going on. They're trapped in the system, but they don't go along with these doctrines of demons. They don't go along with this system of evil. Jesus says to those people, I will put on you no other burden. Just hold fast what you have till I come, because the eyes that blaze like fire and the feet of fine brass will always judge righteously. It says in verse 26, And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. 
He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels, as I also have received from my father. And I will give to him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, church, throughout time, God has always had his remnant. Those who hold fast to him and only him when others may not. And the promise that Jesus gives to those that overcome, even those that belong to this, this type of Jezebel church, the promise that he gives them for their faithful perseverance is twofold. Number one, the power to rule over the nations. And this is quite incredible. You know, we hear these things that we are going to rule and reign with Christ, but do we really take it to heart? Because as believers in Jesus Christ, we will one day rule with Christ. In Revelation chapter 20, John says that he sees this vision of people on thrones who have been given authority to judge. And that's the saints. Church, we judge with the Lord in administering His justice in the earth during the millennial kingdom. Isn't that incredible? And the second thing that he promises here in this letter to those who overcome, to the remnant he says, I will give them the morning star. I will give them the morning star. Now in Revelation chapter 22, Jesus says that he himself is the morning star. So he's basically promising that the ultimate prize that faithful believers will receive is himself. That's what he's saying here. But there's a special meaning to morning star. I want to show you something. When Jesus uses this language here, when he talks about the morning star... It is actually a fulfillment of one of the last passages in the last passage, the last chapter of the Old Testament. In Malachi chapter 4 verse 2, where the prophet Malachi makes this glorious promise of the rising of the son of righteousness with healing in his wings, Malachi sees the day when Jesus, the son of righteousness, with healing in his wings, will come as the morning star. And that will be the fulfillment of the prophecy by Malachi to bring ultimate healing to our souls. And church, we've got to grab hold of this as believers. The morning star, the son of righteousness, the son of God with healing in his wings is our portion. Come on, just give him some praise and glory for that fact this morning. In closing... You would recall me quoting a scripture a few weeks back. In John chapter 5, verse 5, it says, Who is it that overcomes the world? Can you remember what the answer is? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God, right? And you know, interestingly, Jesus uses that statement in every letter to the churches. He says, To him who overcomes, I will do this, I will do that. I will give you the morning star. I will give you power to rule over the nations. I will even give you myself the fullness of Christ. And Jesus says, you don't have to work for that. You don't have to, to make continual sacrifices. You don't have to do penance or pray to my earthly mother. You don't have to follow all these traditions. All you have to believe, all you have to do is believe in me, the Son of God, and that I paid the sacrifice on your behalf. 
You see, the Jezebel spirit will keep you trapped in the bondage of continual works, and you'll always feel guilty. But my Jesus says, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Let's just give the Lord a great shout of praise for His word this morning. Let's pray together as the, the worship team comes up. Lord, we, we thank you for your word of truth this morning. And we pray that you would minister to our hearts exactly in the way we need to receive it. Lord, it is our desire to honor you in everything we do. So as we hear what you are saying to the churches, may we receive it individually with humility and gladness and follow your ways and precepts with every fiber of our being. Lord, give us the discernment we need to identify any demonic forces that would try and lure us back into a system of works, a system that tries to nullify the work you completed on the cross. May we hold fast until you come so that we would receive the morning star the fullness of who you are. And Lord, we pray for those that may be lost in a church system that is controlled by the Spirit. We ask that you would open their spiritual eyes and ears to know that you are the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through you. No one goes to heaven except through Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you, and we thank you that you first loved us and gave your life as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. We give you all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor. And all God's people said, Amen, amen and Amen.